Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Media Boat Podcast. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Today is July the 21st, 2021. This is episode, oh God, uh, 289. That sounds right. 289. Um, if you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast about media, and that includes movies, television, video games, and music. Thoughts and news about all of those things, but not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. This is going to be the longest episode ever because nope. we have a lot to talk about in every single category. No, I refuse. We're going to cook through this. Topic. We're going to be cooking. So let's get right started with it. Let's talk about movies, shall we? Because we always do first. And we always start with the weekend box office numbers. And yes, the big story of this week is that theater chains are pissed at Disney because the Marvel movie did not have the legs that they wanted it to. Black Widow plummets to number two with only $26 million this week, sitting at a pretty 131 domestic but was unseated by your number one movie this week, debuting with $31 million, Space Jam, A New Legacy. And that's on top of what it's probably making on HBO Max subscriptions. So uh, yeah, Warner's probably happy with that. We'll talk a little bit more about Space Jam in a moment. But before we do that, let's go over the rest of the top five here. Number three, Escape Room, colon, Tournament of Champions is eight million, made $8 million. Number four, F9, The Fast Saga, another $7.6 million to add to its 155 mil total. And rounding up your top five, The Boss Baby colon Family Business with $4.7 million. That's sitting at 44 right now. Uh, next week, we are expecting F9 to surpass A Quiet Place Part 2 uh, to be the current highest grossing film of 2021. Yeah. Unless Black Widow somehow passes it then. <laughs> I would like to see a try, but I don't think it's going to make another 20 next weekend. But I could be wrong. Who knows? Also, speaking of next weekend, next weekend, we do have a few upcoming movies uh, for you to look forward to here. First up, Snake Eyes, which took me a while to realize that that is the Snake Eyes I thought it was. I guess this yes, is a spinoff. Snake Eyes. Yeah, it's a spinoff of the G.I. Joe franchise that they tried and failed to make a thing. Um, we also have Old, the M. Night Shyamalan movie about people who turn old. <laughs> yeah, turn old mysteriously at a beach because M. Night Shyamalan twisting. Yeah, this twist. And then lastly, The Comeback Trail. Or is it? Because I don't see it on the calendar anymore. Well, then maybe we'll take that one off then. It said the comeback trail was coming out this week at the beginning of the month. I no longer see it on the calendar, so hey, it may or may not actually appear. This may week. or may not actually happen. Well, we'll let you know when that movie is going to be released. But for now, let's move right on into movie news. Our first story takes us to the wonderful world of Hollywood, or larger, Los Angeles, where a lot of movies are shot. Well, on Saturday night, this past Saturday, L.A. County reinstated its indoor mask mandate as new cases began to rise at levels not seen since April of last year. As a result, several events are already being canceled. A screening of Joe Bell, hosted by Mark Wahlberg, 
was canceled several hours before it was set to begin, and talent agency WME closed its LA offices for at least a week on Monday. Also canceled were Q&A events for Ted Lasso inside the Tower Theater Apple Store, although two outdoor events still took place over the weekend. More Hollywood events and venues may be impacted, including movie theaters, which recently were allowed to open back up with blockbuster releases of F9 and Black Widow. So um, yeah, these new uh, regulations are all based on the Delta variant of the COVID, uh, COVID disease. Uh, the trail's still trying to figure out um, what the best balance of, um, you know, what to allow vaccinated people to do, how to verify that people are vaccinated and what, uh, when uh, masks are still required. And yeah, as long as this is in flux, events related to movies are going to be mixed up for a little bit. Right. Um, this, you can blame the unvaccinated people who are <laughs> not getting vaccinated for allowing this to continue to spread. Yeah. But this is also not the end of COVID stories today. No. Somehow it is not. Our second story is more like the uh, other side, the other end of the, um, the COVID effect, where something is trying to reopen with the help of its fans. Studio Ghibli's Ghibli Museum, located in the city of Mitaka in, to in Tokyo, Japan, launched a crowdfunding drive requesting donations from residents of Japan to help maintain and repair the museum. They were only asking for $45 donations each, but amassed 90,000 within its first 24 hours. Over 72, the crowdfunding page has raised $200,000 with 197 days left on the campaign. The museum, by the way, opened in 2001 and features a number of large displays and exhibits, which require a lot of upkeep. The museum temporarily closed last year due to COVID, and then again this year from April, April to early June. So uh, yeah, an institution over there, I really hope that they were able to clean it up, get it presentable again, so that way people can start visiting. Yep. They did originally get a grant from the city in order to help maintain upkeep but some of its exhibits and more their statues and garden are huge masses that are, take some quite undertaking to clean. And so they reached out to the city, or rather to the citizens of Japan as you had to be Japanese only residents in order to donate. And they came out in droves uh, to the tune of 200,000 in three days and blew past their original goal, which I think they were only asking for fifty thousand dollars. So mm. that's yeah. a four times their budget or their initial plan. So it's a good story. Yeah, yeah. Uplifting. Hopefully people will be able to see it again. And yeah, that'll be nice. Speaking now of for good something stories. Yeah. Now that's some now for something a little less uplifting. <laughs> oh, come on. You don't have to slam it like that. <laughs> If you want to jam it like that. It's time to jam, everyone. We both made the questionable choice of watching Space Jam colon A New Legacy as it's available on HBO Max in the safety of your home. Um, it's the sequel to Space Jam, the 1996 Michael Jordan Bugs Bunny uh, vehicle based on Nike commercials. That was also kind of just a marketing marketing machine. Well, imagine that, 
but times 50 and you get a new legacy. Well, not just 50 years that have passed since then either. <laughs> Though it feels like it sometimes. Uh, no. This is a bad movie. I'm just going to say that up front. Whoa. Hold <laughs> the phone. Come on. Can we at least talk about it before you start critiquing it? I just wanted to get that get that addressed up front. Um, this thing has one severe core issue for me. And I think that this is something you'll agree with me about. But I could be wrong. For context, I do have some childhood nostalgia for the original Space Jam. Does that mean that I think it's a good movie? No, I don't think it's a good movie. I think it's got a lot of issues. Um, but is it, you know, was it a thing that like, in, well, not introduced, but like, did, was it a thing that reinforced a lot of millennial kids of, of like how fun the Looney Tunes were? Absolutely. And was it something that was interesting because Michael Jordan was interesting? Also, absolutely. But the problem with the sequel is that it's not really about the basketball player here. LeBron James is ostensibly supposed to be the Michael Jordan in this, but, and there is a pretty prominent B-plot about his family, but it doesn't feel, but it just feels buried under the real movie that they're trying to make here, which is, hey, what if the Warner Brothers universe was an extended universe like, like, like Fortnite, where we just unite every property we have that all exists in a server somewhere and virtual Don Cheadle is here and he wants to become famous off of it. The problem I have with that premise is if the premise of your movie is, hey, doesn't it suck that studios are making algorithmic decisions about creative works only to make the thing also an virtually algorithmic decision that just shows off all of your IP that you own in your creative work? Doesn't that defeat the whole point? If you want to make a crossover <laughs> with Warner Brothers property, or rather just properties and yeah. IPs in general, go watch the Lego movie because they did it better. <laughs> The Lego movie is like one-tenth of the way that this thing is. It's it's closer to something like Ready Player One. Yeah. Uh, which is... But Ready Player One at least has the premise of being based on a book that already had that premise, right? Like well, it, it did that first. Of having Steven Spielberg on it. Yes. But like, I think there, one of my issues with this is that there's no reason they chose to make this movie about a rogue algorithm that is trying to basically rip everybody off. They didn't have to do that. So you could have made your cash grab IP crossover movie without having that be your plot, is all I'm saying. So what you're saying is LeBron didn't need to be in this film? I just feel like it's too difficult. Yeah, I feel like it's two different movies, is what I'm saying, that that are not, that are warring against each other. Yeah, when your supposedly main character 
you can take him out of the film and still have a relatively interesting <laughs> story. Then he's not the main character. Yeah. So we do have one compliment to give the movie, and that is is that they did course correct on the biggest problem of Space Jam One. The biggest problem of Space Jam 1 is, is that Michael Jordan just stands there for half the movie reacting to things. He plays basketball sometimes, but he's not a character in that movie. He is basically a st- like an avatar of basketball that is there to win the game, at the like to help win the game. He has a family who ostensibly is worried about him, but and he has like other characters in the universe that are ostensibly also worried about him. But none of that is very emotional. There's no emotional stakes in the original Space Jam. It is just interstellar basketball game. Will they win? I don't know. And then when he's kind of plopped back to Earth, literally at the end of that movie and goes back to normal life, it just ends. And there's not really any like follow up of like, what did his kids think about this? Were his kids concerned? Was his wife concerned? What is going on with the world of Michael Jordan? So from the jump a new legacy establishes no we care about lebron james's family we want you to care about the son we want you to care about the family and we're going to keep returning to that idea throughout like a good screenplay is supposed to do to remind you that there are emotional stakes here not just metaphysical wacky cartoon stakes that is smart the only problem is is that that core is, like I said, so buried by the meta-universe shit and all the video game basketball stuff at the end that you're just exhausted by the end of the two hours. So exhausted that I didn't even care about the dynamic between him and his son anymore. I was too distracted by the it clown standing behind them the whole time or the freaking clockwork orange dudes. I'm like, why is anything in this movie happening uh, like why <laughs> all right let's backtrack here did you watch the same space jam that i did yes <laughs> like the first one yes i really literally just rewatched it last saturday right because the whole pur- purpose of michael jordan's arc is that he retires from basketball and then he goes back to playing basketball because it's, <laughs> that's his true passion and he finds it playing looney tunes <laughs> What you described is two scenes of that movie, though. There's the yeah. scene with the, the press conference where he gives, where he does what he did in real life and says that he's going to play baseball for a little bit. And there's dialogue. There's dialogue there, and then there's the scene at the end where it's like, oh, it's clear that he's now playing basketball. The again. first thing he says when he gets to Looney Tunes Land is, "I'm not a basketball player anymore." Yes, I, I realize that, but that's, that's the- his art is that he's done playing basketball. And he literally gets dragged into another basketball game. You can hang lines of dialogue to make an arc, but to make you care is a different thing entirely. And what I'm saying... Care, it used his <laughs> real life like drama. Yes, we all saw the last baseball. dance. We all saw yes. the last dance. We know what happens. Of him going to play baseball and coming back. All That's I'm saying... Like using all... his real life Michael Jordan's real life stakes from it. I am not trying to defend or or say anything about original Space Jam here. I'm literally just trying to say that they did a better job with the emotional arc in this than they did then. That's all I'm saying. I don't think so because their premise of the emotional arc is LeBron is a bad parent for not wanting his kid to make video games and wanting him to be a basketball player. 
Well, it's really like, it, it really hints at that like there's this cruel cycle thing going on where it's like, oh, he was taught to only focus on basketball and not enjoy his other pursuits. So he's doing that to his uh, son and the cycle will continue if he doesn't stop it. That's how I read it. And already that is a more interesting emotional arc than anything in Space Jam 1. Yes, he doesn't like ba- like he doesn't want to play basketball anymore. Oh, he plays basketball and now he wants to play basketball again. That's three sentences. That's not interesting. This is at least an interesting commentary potentially on the dynamics between father and son and like about like encouraging your kids to do creative pursuits. Way more interesting than the Space Jam 1 did. But that's defeat that's missing my entire point. My entire point is all that work that they did to make that semi-interesting doesn't matter because the entire rest of the movie is just such a bright neon colored blur of a mess. It has an antagonistic problem. (laughs) Yes, it does. Because it tries to paint LeBron James as the bad guy to his son. But then you flat out call yourself the goon squad <laughs> and flat out say, I'm going to erase them when we win. And yet you're still supposed to be considered the good guy in the eyes of the kid. Yeah. It's um, it's paced. It's paced weird. It's very clunky. Yeah. And the ending stakes aren't even raised no. until the actual start of the game. It's amazing how close they try to fit it alongside the plot of the first movie, especially Mm -hmm. the basketball game. They try to hit almost the exact same beats. Okay, initially, villain team is doing really well. They're overwhelming the Looney Tunes team. It doesn't look good. Halfway through the game, you have the moment where, like, basketball star is trying to encourage them but can't figure out something to do. But then he realizes, oh... I can do this cartoony thing. If we play like cartoons, it'll work. Literally the same exact beat from the original movie. And it ends up having the same conclusion that ends up working for them. But spoiler, I know I'm sorry for spoiling Space Jam for you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but you're right. There's the stakes are so low because you know, the Looney Tunes, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it never feels like there's any sort of like actual danger because you know how this is going to work out. Well, no, because in the beginning, LeBron gets sent to Looney Tunes land to mm-hmm. build his team. And then there's no stakes for the Looney Tunes to play this game. I mean, there kind of is. They're set up at the beginning where it's like, oh, Bugs wants them to come back to Come back Toon home. So there's, that's it, though. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that there is technically stakes for the Looney Tunes. It's just, it's not that interesting. But that's not stakes to play the basketball game. It's just stakes of Bugs wanting his friends home. And he I gets mean, that completed by the end of the second act. I guess it's not stakes for them specifically, but it's stakes because they know that all these strangers' lives are basically on the line. Also, is it established that they know the first movie happened? It's really unclear. It seems like the Looney Tunes know. The Looney Tunes in their universe seem to be aware because they make several jokes about it. Right. It is unclear whether LeBron James is aware. In a world where Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle for the Game Boy exists, you think that Space Jam would have also existed, but maybe not. 
Um, also, problem. That's an original Game Boy that does not do color. No, it doesn't do color. No, there's a line at the beginning when he's like showing his friend. He's like, I got the new one that does color. So, Oh, no, that Game Boy did not do color. That was script, Script-wise, that's actually really accurate because 1998 was when the Game Boy Color was released. But prop, prop department-wise, wise, they messed up and gave him a 1989 Game Boy. <laughs> anyway, sorry, just the thing that I noticed. Another thing that I want to talk about here, and I wanted to get your kind of play on it because a friend of the show, Christy, differed. She actually really enjoyed this, by the way. Shrug. Um... <laughs> You're watching the same movie, believe it or not. Um, one thing that I pointed out that I had a problem with, she was like, no, that makes sense to me. I felt like the villain motivation, and the villain I'm talking about here is the Don Cheadle character, uh, was really muddled for me. When you first introduce or when you're first introduced to that character, it seems like his motivation is I want to get all the I, I want to get all the famous uh like, I want to get the most famous person in the world, essentially, which he comes to some sort of conclusion that that's LeBron James for some reason, um, to be in all our Warner Brothers media because then it would be a big success. And I guess the end game is sort of there so that he can take credit for it. But he's an algorithm. In what world would he take credit for that? But as the movie progresses that needle moves because he then has to re- he has to change track when he starts basically putting the the sun in place of him where he's like okay well if the sun beats lebron james in the basketball game then i will be su- then then i will be famous for that somehow or like i will be See, that's what I mean about muddy. Like, I'm trying to remember what it is. And then by the end of the movie, it's changed again because he comes up with that random idea at the end. Like, oh, by the way, everybody's going to just, like, disappear. It's going to be deleted just because I can, I guess. What benefit does that have to him? Yeah, that's why, <laughs> that's why I started it with unclear, like, a really bad villain. Your antagonist yeah. is really bad. Um. It's it's what starts off as rogue AI in a sense. <laughs> yeah. Morphs to destroying yourself because the <laughs> AI only exists within <laughs> Warner Media. And when you destroy all property of Warner Media, aren't you then essentially <laughs> destroying yourself? It doesn't make any sense unless he's saying that that threat is only for the fans that were imported there and not the media properties, right? But he doesn't clearly establish what he means by everyone, right? Right. Um, (laughs) Also, that's not how phones work. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's not how camera phones work. That's not how uh, cell phones and smartphones work because... (laughs) <laughs> I yeah. had a problem with that. I just, I think this movie is a mess Game for all the reasons why I said already, but also for additional reasons. Like, I just think it's just, it's not appealing looking. I don't get why it changes into a CG movie halfway, like, like in the third act. It's not necessary. Um, because, just, uh, well, I was, I was going to say, because then you have to draw 2D basketball stars. 
but it's just it seems like there's just so many weird choices it yeah it feels like two movies that are fighting against each other it feels like they tried to make a straight up space jam sequel but then they also tried to make this weird meta universe narrative thing with this algorithm character and all the other but really it's just window dressing all that meta universe stuff is just window dressing it's an excuse for lebron james to visit metropolis it's an excuse for lebron james to go ride on a dragon in game of thrones world and it doesn't who is this for who is this for who is this movie for uh, Warner Brothers executives. Yeah, ostensibly the answer is children, right? But I think on a certain level, kids would enjoy this. But also, I think they'd be, be confused by a lot of it. They probably don't recognize half the characters in the background. They probably I feel like don't like a big check mark, check boxes that they had to fill in. Yeah, yeah, it feels like that. It's the Fortnite of movies. That's what this thing is. It just feels like crossovers for the sake of crossover. Funny you mentioned that um, because of Space Jam Legacy, LeBron is a new character skin in Fortnite. <laughs> Can't make this shit up. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've talked too much about this. Do you have any final thoughts about Space Jam? Obviously, I'm telling you not to see it. Oh, yes. No, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like, see it at your own peril, I guess. Yeah. Because we can't stop you, but at the same time, warning you. Yeah. Um. The oh, another big problem is the stealing of player talent from the first yeah. one. Not really stolen, but rather written in. They're like mutated. And they're mutated? Yeah. Also, one interesting thing that they did with the first one that they don't do at all with the second one. With the first one, you get at least some funny scenes of like... Well, funny. I'm using funny lightly here. You get some scenes of um, some of the, 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 peop- the, the basketball stars who have lost their talent be bad on the basketball field or somehow acting in real life like something has changed with them. And there's kind of even like a weird like B-plot in that movie about like the league going on strike. I don't know if you remember this, but the league... Yeah, the league, went on, the league shut down. Yeah, because... And they're, they're changing in the yeah. hallway with gas masks. It's, it's an interesting dimension that doesn't exist at all in the sequel. In the sequel, you get to meet these NBA and WNBA stars for like a half minute and then the next time you see them, they're mutated already. Mm-hmm. And you never get to see them like back to normal or like recovered or Yeah, the actual stakes <laughs> of the actual humans yeah. is low to non-existent to right. very muddled. They needed monsters and they get their monsters and then they forget about the real basketball players that were underneath the monsters once the monsters aren't needed anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a weird choice. So what I'll say, my final thing is I'll say about it is that they're both bad movies, but ultimately watching them back to back, the first Space Jam is way is a fascinating thing. It's a fascinating artifact of culture in a way that New Legacy is not. Now, 20 years in the future, will we be looking back at New Legacy and being like, man, that was a fascinating piece of history? Probably. But right now, it's just a reminder of all the things that giant media companies are doing that is just de- denigrating the quality of the media properties, the original art that was created as a basis of them. Is- I'm going to say no. I'm going <laughs> to fight you against that. Okay. Because this 
movie does not have any funky beats. It has no jokes. <laughs> the music choice isn't right. there. It's not the same. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very easy to go into the nostalgia lens and be like, ah, the first one was better because I remember it when I was a kid. And I'm trying to avoid doing that because it's easy trap that a lot of people, especially with the discourse around these movies, have gotten yes. trapped in last this last couple of weeks. But what I will say is they are both bad movies. Just this one is bad in a completely different way. That's what I'll say. Um, yeah. Last note, they stole our Michael T. Jordan they did. joke. They did. That's a little bit of a spoiler for a gag in the movie, but I can't believe it. Christy literally looked at me after that scene and was like, they stole your joke! <laughs> you know, I was great minds... When I was watching it, they stole our joke. <laughs> I was going to say great minds think alike, but I don't know if I should give them that much credit. Let's move on! <laughs> Out of movies, did you see any other movies? I didn't see any other movies. That was the only one that mattered this week. Did it, though? Did it really matter? Let's talk about real sports, though, after we're done talking about the sport of basketball depicted in the film Um, because real basketball happened and I'll lead with that story as it's probably your biggest sports story of the week Uh, the Bucks beat the Suns 105 points to 98 to win the NBA championship that's their first in 50 years since 1971 finals MVP Mr. Giannis uh, was the sixth player with 50 points in a finals game so congratulations to him and all of the Milwaukee Bucks uh, for a good finals. Come on, say his last name. And 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 to and to Kumpo. Yes, Antetokounmpo yeah. is your uh, MVP, Finals MVP. Uh, he scored fifty points in that final game. <laughs> Only the sixth person ever to do so. Yeah. He actually went and celebrated by going to Chick Fil A with the trophy and ordering fifty nuggets. <laughs> as you do as you do also um because this took place in milwaukee just outside in the deer garden yes that's what they call it <laughs> the deer garden yeah. or meadow or whatever right outside the stadium um an extra twenty thousand plus fans stood outside watching the game from the outside compared to everyone who was inside so hmm. okay you're in Milwaukee area, get tested for something because <laughs> good thing you got your vaccine. Good thing. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, this means that the NBA has come to an end. Yes. Basketball season's officially over. But the next one will just begin shortly <laughs> as next Saturday is the NBA draft. Yes. Uh, forward. I think we know who has the first pick uh, it is the Wa- Washington <laughs> who has the first pick here you tell me no it's a draft lottery Houston I think uh, I don't know I'm not getting draft order come on Uh, Detroit gets the first pick, followed by Houston and then Cleveland. Okay. 
So someone's right. going to be Pistons themselves because they're going to Detroit Pistons. <laughs> so funny. All right, let's talk about other sports, why don't we? Uh, first up, meanwhile, in the British Open, I'm guessing this is tennis. No, this uh, is golf. Well, see, that's why you have to specify. <laughs> well, I would have, I just specify, it's the British Open because they just call it the Open. <laughs> it doesn't help. I know, that's why I specified it as the British Open. That doesn't help either. Anyway, golf, I guess. Colin Morikawa won. I figured the name should give it away, seeing as we talked about him for... I don't remember these people's names. Oh, he he won the Global Championship as the youngest ever to do so. Remember when we talked about that? Well, he did it again. (laughs) (laughs) We did it again. There you go. Championship in eight starts, um, second win um, before he turns 25. None other than Tiger Woods himself had done that. So, congratulations, <laughs> Colin Morikawa. Yeah. You are the next up and comer. So, sign big checks. <laughs> yeah. Or golf it. good. Golf low scores. Golf good. All right. Meanwhile, if you're somebody who likes um, a different kind of commentary to um, accompany your football games, I've got good news for you. Peyton and Eli Manning have signed a three-year agreement with ESPN to headline the Monday Night Football Megacast on ESPN2 and ESPN Plus for 10 games during the season. Now, this will not replace the existing Monday Night Football uh, play call that exists already on on ESPN's game. Instead, will be an alternate play call that you can watch slash listen to the same game with with the Manning brothers at the helm. Yes, it's their mega cast. So they have <laughs> their much like the Nickelodeon cast and their simulcast and their uh, superhero cast. <laughs> They'll have this the regular Monday Night Football that you know and love on ESPN, but to fill content on ESPN two and ESPN plus, right? You you can get dragged over and watch the Peyton and Eli. Uh, talk about the game as it goes on as well so is this what you're gonna do um maybe because they (laughs) will be bringing in different sports guests to co-host with them or really just shoot the shit i mean they're not going to be actually at the game they're going to be doing this from a remote location through peyton manning production company can you guess what that production company is called manning productions no the other one the other obvious answer i don't know what is it Omaha Productions. (laughs) I wouldn't have guessed that, but that's even better than what I would have guessed. So that works perfectly. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. All right. That's it for sports, or is it? Um, The NHL draft will also be this weekend. Um, So hold on to your butts there. But as the draft is approaching, as of today or as of this recording, the Seattle Kraken mm-hmm. can officially sign players. Um, they get one player from every team, minus the recent Las Vegas Knights, mm-hmm. to fill out their 30 man roster. So check your local team <laughs> or your fan favorite team to see who's no longer there. Yeah. You know, might be upset. 
don't hurl things at your television, though you might break it. Well, like the each team can like block eight to twelve players, mm-hmm. but everyone else is free game. <laughs> Seems risky. We know what happened last time with the Knights when they did this. People were not thrilled. No, so. but everyone's up uh, like behind the Kraken. Yeah, because that's true. Seattle. Because the Kraken. It's a good name. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Anything else in sports before we move on to? The first of your stories. Yes, I was kind of keeping that for the segue. But yes, thank you. Because our first television story happens to also be um, about sports. Because as NBC is very happy to tell you, (laughs) we are a week, actually mere days away from the opening ceremonies of the Tokyo Olympics. As of this recording, we are 48 hours away from the start of the opening ceremonies. Yes. Different from the start of right. the opening actual Olympics, actual events taking right. place because that starts today uh, right. as of this podcast. So yeah, uh, needless to say, it's been a busy few weeks in the Olympic uh, circle about all sorts of things that have been happening beforehand. We're trying to gather some of that in a bits package for you. So let's go through it. First up, the opening ceremony, as we mentioned, is Friday, uh, July twenty third. That will be simulcast on NBC and Peacock. So you can see it streaming as well. Softball returns as a sport, the first time since 2008. The U.S. women's, oh boy, you're going to have to help me here. National team. Soccer team. Lost 0-3 to Sweden in the group stage. This is not a shocker Mm -hmm. for soccer. As (laughs) the last Olympics, they lost to Sweden in the quarterfinals match. Yeah. Still disappointing. Well, yeah, it's still disappointing, but this is group stage. Mm-hmm. U.S. lost to Sweden um, as one of the first official kind of group stage games to be played for the Olympics as that gets underway. And rightfully so, most people are freaking out. Yeah. Or not, or because not. women's <laughs> national team. Yeah. You know, Next. maybe if they had like better pay or facilities, they might do better. Yeah. Next up. Diana Taurasi chases her fifth Olympic gold for the U.S. women's basketball team. So we'll see how that works out. Yep. Um, So that dates her fifth back to the 96 games then? Yeah. In Atlanta. Yeah, I guess so. So 96, 2000, 2004, 2008... No, it'd be 2000, 2004, 2008. Yeah, 2012. 12, 16, 20. Wow, it's quite a bit there. So maybe that's 2006. Next up, six Polish swimmers have been sent home after administrative error sent too many athletes. Oh no, there's too many Polish people. Too many. Um, (laughs) So yeah, they sent pretty much all their backups back home. Yeah. It, It was heartfelt. There's some, like, TikTok videos out there going around of them like waving by to say goodbye to their teammates as they board the train flights back home. Yeah. But dang administrative errors. Speaking of people sent home, but for other reasons, four athletes at the Olympic Village have already tested positive over the weekend and are now isolating. So not quite sent home, but sent away from everyone else. Yep. And this is exactly what the Japanese residents, mm-hmm. not officials, we're worried about it. although yes. I'm sure the officials were worried about it on some level, but the vocal of the Japanese residents 
saying that they shouldn't have these games because of the spread of not just COVID, but the Delta variant as it's on the mm-hmm. rise. Very vocal. Don't be surprised if there's protesting, yeah. shouting about it throughout the Olympics. I'm, I'm sure. Next up, other positive tests um, include head coach of South Africa's rugby team, an IOC member from South Korea, the leader of the refugee Olympic team, and rising tennis star Coco Goff. 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 Coco Goff. Got a you in there. year old. Yes, uh, all of them tested positive before the Olympic Games and as such were not allowed to travel mm-hmm. and missed out. Yeah. So from July 1st to this past Monday, a total of 58 individuals connected with the Games had tested positive for COVID according to the organizing committee. Those include contract workers, journalists, team personnel, and athletes. Um, in case you were wondering about the nitty-gritty of this, athletes who are identified as close contacts must take a PCR test six hours before a game and test negative in order to compete. Yeah, so Olympic Village, right there in the heart of the city, if they get close contact, if someone around them test positive, they have to take a test six hours before their scheduled game start mm-hmm. at a minimum. Yeah. If not, they could get pulled. I'm just saying. And speaking of things getting pulled, athletes aren't the only ones. Toyota Mortar Corporation, you know, Toyota, has decided to pull company. all of its Olympics-related TV commercials in Japan due to fears associated with the troubled games which are deeply unpopular in Japan, as you might imagine, that may lead to tarnishing its name. CEO of Toyota, Akio Toyota, with a D, and other at you executives, I want to be clear about that, and other executives will not be in attendance during the opening ceremonies. That being said, the CEO of Toyota did participate in the uh, Olympic torch relay, Mm. but that was back in April. Yeah. So it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last little bit here, in case you're wondering about the future Olympics, some of those got decided. Well, we already knew some of these, but one brand new one. After these games, the next ones will be in Paris in 2024. Those will be your um, winter Olympics. Oh, no, that's, that's another summer. That's summer. Oh, these are just summers. Okay. These are only summers. Then, oh boy, here in Los Angeles in 2028, uh, <laughs> I just get anxiety thinking about it every time what I read. Twenty twenty eight means. Yeah. No. 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 The, how bad it's going to be when they're down here. How bad getting anywhere here is going to be. Well, to be fair, they were pushing for a twenty twenty four Olympics, but then they decided to push it back as to not give potential Donald Trump the Olympic Games. <laughs> Yeah, I just... Although, yeah. now that they pushed it back... They could might. have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's... it's Yeah, I really... I'm fearing that day. Um, then the recently announced Brisbane Olympics in 2032. So yeah, there the far-flung future date of 2032. That's over 10 years away. Do you know where Brisbane is? It's Australia, right? Yes, it is. The yeah. third time it'll be in Australia... It was in Melbourne in 56, Sydney in 2000, 
and then Brisbane in 2032. That was just announced today. Today. Officially. Um, it was in an effort to try and curtail major cities from being dominant. Yes, major cities mm-hmm. from dominating the hosting of the Olympics. Makes the sense. Olympics, seeing as we had London and then Rio de Janeiro and mm-hmm. now Tokyo and then Paris and then yeah. Los Angeles. Um, so, yeah, we're going back to Australia in 2032. Yeah, well, we'll be in our 40s, so looking forward to it. Well, this does give them 10 (laughs) years to plan and put together an infrastructure for hosting all these Olympic Games. Yeah. Much in the same way that I think, not Tokyo, um, Beijing um, got 10 years as well after Mm -hmm. 96. 12 years, so because 96 to 2008. They got 12 years in advance notice. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's talk, talk, stop talking about the Olympics, why don't we? And let's start hey, talking we'll talk about... about more of the Olympics next week. Well, yes, next week. We'll get there. We, we will watch a lot of Olympic coverage. <laughs> or at least I know you will, because I will be traveling. I will also be traveling for a few days this weekend. So I will be back and maybe catch some Olympics after Tuesday, but we will see. Um, um, yeah, I'm going to miss the opening ceremonies. I'm going to watch those later, but... Um... You can watch around Peacock wherever you are. <laughs> wherever I Not am. Not sponsored. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's move on to our second television story here, which takes us to a shambling corpse of a lawsuit. Hey, this is one of our <laughs> favorite lawsuits to talk about. I know, we've talked about this a lot. Well, the long-running legal battle over... about this then. Yeah. The long-running legal battle over Frank Darabont's profits from AMC's The Walking Dead has finally come to an end with AMC making a $200 million payout to the former showrunner and his agency, CAA. The original lawsuit claimed AMC had used shady accounting to short Frank and CAA on profits. The settlement resolved all litigation and buys Darabont and CAA out of most of their rights to the IP from the Walking Dead franchise. The parallel fight from the other profit participants, (laughs) including Walking Dead graphic novel creator Robert Kirkman, is ongoing and is currently scheduled for trial this November with a June backup date set in case of a pandemic delay. AMC's lawyers say Darabont's settlement doesn't impact that legislation, that they're treating them as separate things. So, uh, yeah, um, I guess good. I guess Darabont got his payday, but it does mean that you're not going to see him related to any future Walking Dead anything going forward. I believe this does mean that they can kind of take off his name from executive producer and creator and anything like that uh-huh. uh, going forward. Because, you know, as we all know, for The Walking Dead will not die. <laughs> AMC just keeps pumping money into that lifeless corpse of a show, and eventually <laughs> it will die, hopefully, maybe at some point. But yeah, we've been covering this since 2016, I want to say. One of our original stories from way back when and finally getting a legal collusion conclusion collusion (laughs) well it's a settlement so it's done it's done they can't ask for any more it's done yeah unless they come back and saying hey you lied we want more (laughs) we we found out that that's actually more and you only gave us a small percentage of it yeah 
but probably not likely to happen. Probably not. All right. With that, let's move out of news and talk about some thoughts. You have some burning thoughts that you've been wanting to talk about since last week when this show wrapped up. So we mentioned it last week because it was indeed the series finale last week, mm-hmm. but couldn't, couldn't slash wouldn't get into it due to one talking heavily about spoilers and two, <laughs> it literally came out that day because yeah. Disney has moved its lineup around to have premieres on Wednesdays. So here we are one week later, post finale, uh, you can now watch the Loki uh, Assemble episode <laughs> on Disney Plus, which shows you all the good behind the scenes stuff. If you're like me and you are interested in those <laughs> kind of things, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the actual show, what they put in front of our eyeballs, Loki. So what'd you think? Did you finish this? I did not. So this is all you. So you stopped at episode four, three, three. three. Whatever the lamentous one was, right? Yeah. Where nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, I know you're the one of three people now that have told me to go back and finish it, uh, but I have not well, done told so. You to go back and finish it. Okay. Well, so, well, other people are telling me to go back and finish it. Um, so yeah, well, how do you think it uh, uh, nailed the landing? And, uh, spoilers included, because I do vaguely understand what was spoiled or what was revealed at the end here. What is your vague revealing understanding? My vague understanding from what I've read on the internet is that they were just, by the end of this thing, they were just like, hey, we're going to be straight up with everybody. The multiverse is real. We're confirming it. Yes, we know it was in the subtitle of the Doctor Strange movie, so you kind of already knew this. But hey, here it is, and here's proof that it exists. Yes, but also that Doctor Strange film ain't coming out until next year <laughs> right so we got a while we got a while until you get to see that for now here's an example of what this thing can do not just that but the man behind the curtain that behind the whole tva thing the whole wizard of oz not at all subtle reference anywhere <laughs> just blatantly yes this is your wizard of oz man behind the curtain scene here um, bad guy question mark on that was or will be future uh, Jonathan Majors cast as King we already knew this he was going to be one of the big bads for the um, next phase we just didn't know how when where he was going to show up so having him at the very end here for the last episode which by the way all lore dump. <laughs> that last episode is nothing but lore dump. Mainly because the episode before it, episode five, was kind of your big battle, albeit against giant cloud shadow monster. <laughs> but a big heavy special effects battle nonetheless. So, I'm a bit torn about this because it opens up the MCU and opens up the alternate timelines and opens up the whole mess that comic books can get into. And to keep something that big in a TV show, call it what it is, the TV show, (laughs) 
feels a bit underwhelming at times because as we said with Black Widow last week, typically you save your movies for the big earth-shattering events, world-breaking events, world-ending events. To have your world-ending event and literal timeline-ending event (laughs) in a TV show at times feels like it cheapens the point of it, Mm -hmm. but at the same time feels like it reached a necessary conclusion as Loki, who, if you remember back from Avengers in 2012, introduced the world to Thanos at the very end. Here, he's kind of doing the same thing, introducing us to Kang at the very end of his story here. That is also to say that this story is not over. As we talked we talked about last week, there is a season two on the way. So all the characters here, they will return in some form or another. So the story's not complete. Although you kind of feel like it should be complete. <laughs> this is the end. Yeah. Or is it? Because does time even matter? Also, <laughs> comic book shenanigans. Mm-hmm. No one ever truly dies in a comic book land, especially when they're hugely popular. Yeah. The Tom Hiddleston performing in the same role for the past 11 years, 12 years now, I think, mm-hmm. plus. To which I say, good for you. Why kill your golden goose? Even though Kevin Feige did indeed try to kill that golden goose for <laughs> you in Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Only to be like, comic book shenanigans, bam, you're back. So, so I, have, I don't know where I land on this then. Yeah, so I have a question. Do you think part of your like ambivalence or like fence writing here is because there seems to be a division between what these what these television shows that Marvel has been doing want to be on face value? But which is in combat with the reality of what they have to be, which is a vehicle to set something else up in the universe. Do you think those things, because they're trying to fight each other in the middle of these things, do you think that's what's keeping these shows from just going from being good to being great? So, put bluntly, because (laughs) it's a business, (laughs) Marvel films are there to sell toys, to sell sell merchandise. Yes. There to get you hyped on the characters so they yeah. can sell more shit from the characters. But from the film. Yes, you're correct. But the dream though, and that the, the world that the world that I envisioned when I saw the first episode of WandaVision was what if this thing was just by itself? What if this thing just was like an individual spin-off where they just have some fun in this universe? Of course, that didn't end up being the case. But for a moment there, I had this vision, no pun intended, that this television, this Disney Plus streaming stuff was an opportunity for them to do smaller encapsulated stories. We've been proven wrong. That is not what they're going for here. Is that, that that's disappointing, right? No, that was not my vision. <laughs> my interpretation of these Disney Plus shows is here are the very whacked out stories because comic book 
that we can't put on screen because we're just going to lose audience left and right because <laughs> of it. They need to be broken down into bite-sized episodic forms in order for you to fully enjoy the storytelling that is comic books as they're usually done by issues on, yes, an episodic line and not like a two hour, two and a half hour, two hour volume of a book, which is what a film can be translated into. Mm -hmm. So my aspect of these Disney Plus shows from Marvel is more of here's all the weird stuff that we can't, the weird stuff that we want creatives to have fun with and enjoy. And it's mainly for the diehards with the tangential line that will curtail it back into the MCU, which typically will happen at the very end of how it all connects together. That's why at the end of WandaVision, you had the big battle and Wanda getting the uh, Book of Darkness, MacGuffin, whatever, so she can enhance her powers so that way next time you see her, she's more powerful. There's reason behind it. Um, for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the next time you see uh, Captain America, it's Sam Wilson, Captain America, and there's no question about it. It's just he did end up taking that mantle. It's just here's the story of him taking that journey to take up the mantle. I guess what I'm saying in a round of... Yeah. However, because he's supposed to be dead in the MCU and how it all connects, what it's trying to do, and this is the part that really is confusing to me until we get more down the timeline and can see out the tunnel, is in the MCU, the timeline we're at is post end game by five years ish three well no so there's a five year gap in end game and then WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier happened so at least a year maybe a year and a half post end game which is five years post Infinity War Loki because he got taken out and through the TVA is in some kind of other weird timeline outside of what we know as the MCU timeline, because that Loki is 2012 Loki. Supposed to be dead by the time we get to Endgame. So when they eventually, and I'm predicting this here, throw him into Thor, Love and Thunder, because I want to see my brother. I need to tell him <laughs> what's to come. Thor, uh, in Thor, and then he meets like three different Thors, including Lady Thor. Spoiler, but not. <laughs> that's when you have the, hopefully by then, because that's in 2022. Is that 2022 as well? Yes. Yeah, because that's February and then that's May. It's your May release. Um Doctor Strange is the February release. Um, Thor is your May summer start release. By the time we get there, idea is that book two or chapter two of Loki may be done by then and lead directly into that. So, so far, the only Disney Plus show that actually matters is Loki. <laughs> but on a grand scale, three years in the future, three years down the line from now. 
Well, to rewind a bit, I guess the reason why I'm asking this is because if we lived in a world where they didn't have to be set up, if they didn't have to be filling in gaps, do you think you would have come out on the other side of this enjoying it more? Probably. Mm-hmm. If only because it helps fill the greater lore that is the MCU. Mm-hmm. Because directing, it's great. I love the acting. I love all the costume designs, the weird different Loki, different variant stuff. I like the whole time jumping aspect because sci-fi time travel appeals to me. We've established this on this podcast. So it's got everything that I like and that I want to see. I liked Loki. This is not me saying I didn't like it. I'm just criticizing it for just for the sake of being like anti-Loki. I liked it. I really liked this series more than I thought I would. I like WandaVision better because I think it's a better storytelling vehicle, especially in terms of it being episodic. Mm-hmm. But as for Loki, it's the necessary storytelling to propel to the future. It's just that couldn't we have done this in a movie instead of a TV show. Yeah. Because with the TV show, you do get those long pulled out pauses, the more scenes to chew because of it, because you have more time to use. And as with the case of episode three, you end up with stuff that doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of things, it did help, but you can also get through that in two powerful scenes together when you have the right actor. Like, the chemistry's there. They just wasn't used to its full effect. That being said, I'd like to see more Owen Wilson. I mean, wouldn't we all? I mean, that's really the takeaway here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, so, yeah, so kind of middling, I guess, is what, on uh, on Loki overalls is what it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, middling. Uh, but don't be surprised if I see it on my end of the list because <laughs> I have a very sparse list so far of what's good TV. That being said, here's your reminder that Ted Lasso is this weekend. <laughs> right. Yes. Way more important things are on the horizon. <laughs> yes. So exciting. All right. Well, on that note, you have one other thing. So one of these things that you have on the list, I'm punting to video games because it is a video game. Um, <laughs> yes, but there's another thing that you watched from the Disney Plus Empire here. Uh, yes, premiere today, so I can talk about it. Watched it, kind of enjoyed it, weirdly. Uh, mentioned it at the beginning of the month. That is the new Turner and Hooch Disney Plus series based on the film starring Josh Peck of Drake and Josh. Yes, that Josh Peck. That Josh Peck. So, spoiler slash non-spoiler, Tom Hanks <laughs> is dead. Oh, no. And this is his son. Oh. So, don't ex- so, I do not expect any kind of Tom Hanks cameo to appear. No. Because they flat out openly say, Bond's been struggling <laughs> since dad died. Yeah, yeah, he's toast. Here's your dog. Used to be dad's dog. Now it's your dog. <laughs> you get new hooch. And Hooch is crazy. Oh, I'm sure. 
Gooch is quite a hoot. Uh, but they did up the ante, though. So, in the original Turner and Hooch, Turner um, was just a regular police cop. They up the ante here because uh, New Turner is a U.S. Marshal, which means more espionage, more hidden away uh, bad guys, more cr- complex crimes to solve, as you would expect in a TV series. You need to not easily wrap it up in two hours. It works. It weirdly enough works hmm. for me. Okay. It has just the right level of goofiness <laughs> to make me laugh at it, but then also the, the right level of seriousness to one make me actually believe Josh Peck is a U.S. Marshal <laughs> and a decent actor at that as well. Uh, but also like the right level of between it being a movie and TV to where the action scenes are very TV, uh, CSI, um, NCIS-esque, where they're very fast-paced, very high-speed chasing. But everything outside of that is very meaty and very chewable scenes. (laughs) I'm enjoying the non-action as well. Okay. Also, side romance, which if I know TV, and I know I do, you'll <laughs> see these characters hook up around episode six and then regret it in episode seven. Of course, of course. Because of course you do. Uh, but yeah, give Turner and Hooch a try. Hmm, okay. It takes kind of the love of that original movie and sequel that you love and plays with it. It kind of ups the ante as you should do. And it's not like a direct ripoff, not necessarily a direct sequel as well, even though it is because it takes place in the same universe with the same characters, mm-hmm. but more of a refreshed retelling of Turner and Hooch. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Huh, I okay. kind of liked it. Better than you expected, and we always like to hear that. Yeah, but then again, when you go in with zero expectations, anything <laughs> can be it's a very low bar to meet. It's fair. All right. Well, I did not. uh, I wanted to talk really briefly about something that I'm in the process of catching up on. Uh, The Owl House is back. Um, So I'm catching up on those episodes right now. Uh, We'll report back when we finish up season two, but it might be a while because, or at least part one of season one or two, because they're splitting it into parts uh, as they did with Amphibia last time, too. So, uh, yeah, I'll have more to talk about that when I wrap that up. And like you said, Ted Lasso is coming. Um, so yeah, we'll have lots to talk about television in the coming weeks. I'm but for now, I'm back because I just finished watching Royal Pains. <laughs> um, after getting through House, I went through other medical doctor show. So on a more lighter note, uh, yeah. Royal Pains on Peacock. Enjoyed it. Um, as I mentioned uh, on previous podcasts, at some point, put it on by accident. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a different show, but ended up enjoying it. Uh, I think it's like 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. Really good score. Really good show. It's a fun, lighthearted doctor show. So, 
Yeah. If you're looking for something to binge watch, try out Royal Pains. There you go. All right, let's move on into cancellations and renewals. All right, what am I no longer watching? Well, you're still watching, or maybe you're not, Bridge and Tunnel on Epic says it got renewed for a second season. The Go Big Show got a second season on TBS. Yeah, iCarly competition show on TBS uh, with Snoop Dogg, I believe. That sounds right. Uh, meanwhile, the reboot of iCarly has gotten a second season over on Paramount Plus, as well as The Good Fight will get its sixth season on Paramount Plus. Law and Order for the Defense, the upcoming planned Law and Order series on NBC, will not premiere as scheduled. It was canceled before its debut. Um, speaking of that being canceled, we need to figure out what show NBC will be plugging during the Olympics. <laughs> I know, right? There's got to be one. <laughs> we'll see, I guess. Oh, I know what it's going to be. The Return of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably right. The yeah. finally they finally reveal what the hell that thing is gonna the be. Final season. Yeah. Oh man. We'll see. Uh moving on to a couple deaths uh this week. First up, William F. Nolan, age 93, was an author, wrote Logan's Run, and a screenwriter, Trilogy of Terror and Burn Offerings, among others. Yes, that Logan's Run. That Logan's Run. Not the movie, right, but the book. the book it's based off of. Yes. And then also this week, unfortunately, we lost Biz Marquee, age 57, rapper most famous for Just a Friend, but also an actor, uh, had roles in Men in Black 2 and a recurring role in uh, Yo Gabba Gabba, the kids show. Uh, definitely will be remembered for his, um, just his per- boisterous personality, fun rapping style, and just that classic video for Just a Friend. <laughs> if you have not seen it, it's classic, and you should you should fix that right now. Yep, song played at pretty much eighty five to ninety percent of weddings. Just a friend by Biz Marquee. Yeah, yeah. If not anywhere you are in a club, at some point, it it's will a fun karaoke thing to put on. Yep, just just fun. He will be missed. He was definitely a a legend. Definitely just a friend. <laughs> All right, let's move on into music. So I toss this over to you. And we always start music with the Billboard. And we start the Billboard with the Hot 100. And it's so hot, Mm -hmm. BTS is still at the top. But? But it's not for butter. Oh, no. Now they're giving you permission to dance. Wow, thank you, BTS. Yes, because you need that summer jam. And they provide it with Permission to Dance by BTS is your new number one song. It's so popular, it actually <laughs> knocked Butter off of the top five. It did. But that does mean that number two is Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, coming in at number three is Stay by the Kid Leori and Leroy. Justin Bieber. <laughs> Leroy? Yeah, the Kid Leroy. You moved Leroy. the bells. Leroy. <laughs> At number four, Levitating by Dua Lipa featuring the baby. And rounding out your top five, Kiss Me More by Doja Cat featuring SZA. Mm-hmm. As for your Billboard 200, your albums chart, at number one, still at number one, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. 
At two, Planet Her by Doja Cat. At three, why is this back here? Dangerous, <laughs> colon, the double album by Morgan Wallen. <laughs> At four, The Voice of the Heroes by Lil Baby and Lil Dirt. And rounding out your top five, Hall of Fame by Polo G. Yep. Does that all sound familiar to you? A lot of those are returning. They're all returning. Yes. All right. If you didn't like any of those albums, or if you're sick of Mormon Wall being up there, <laughs> we have new releases. And they start with Change by Anika. We also have Spiral by Dark Side. Not that dark side. <laughs> also, not that dark side. <laughs> uh, For Free by David Crosby. Yeah, that, that David, David Crosby. Crosby. <laughs> uh, Ninth and Walnut by Descendants. Not to be confused with The Descendants from Disney Channel. <laughs> Very different. <Yeah>. Or <laughs> Descendant, that horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have Downhill from Everywhere by Jackson Brown and lastly Gold Diggers Sound by Leon Bridges yes that Leon Bridges <laughs> just like saying his name I'll say it again if you want me to no you're good all right, let's get into some music news then, shall we? And we start with a TikTok story. Yeah. So, market research studies commissioned by the social media darling, question mark, <laughs> compiled by two different firms, gives some numeric context to TikTok's impact. A music perception study was conducted in November by MRC Data, and a study about TikTok's impact on culture was fielded in March by London-based Flamingo Group. Both, sur- both surveys were conducted online, polling nearly 1,500 TikTok users. Highlights from both studies were revealed Wednesday morning in a TikTok blog post. With music discovery being one of the platform's most talked about attributes, it won't surprise most music marketers to learn that 75% of TikTok's visitors discover artists there, while 63% say it's a source for music they've not heard before, and 72% indicating they associate certain songs with TikTok. Case in point, aside from Lil Nas X, whose TikTok exposure propelled him, from self-released artists to a Columbia Records contract, the app has also been cited as a key building box for the likes of top five artist Olivia <laughs> Rodrigo, Doja Cat, and Megan the Stallion. Quote, the interest is there, and the music industry is buying into what TikTok is selling, said a music industry expert. And this should come as no surprise as we <laughs> randomly see songs track that top five and wonder, where did this come from? Who's this mm-hmm. artist? I have no idea where this is. Mm, more recently, we can trace those back to TikTok. 
Yeah, I mean, this seems obvious and it should feel obvious from it's where we've end up, ended up with music over the last couple of years. But I included the story because it's interesting to see actual numbers proving how effective it is. Um, in fact, I was talking to some friends over the weekend about what the equivalent was for us growing up. And we were talking about literally listening to the radio on a cassette player and trying to hit record when the song that you're waiting for would come up. Did you ever do this? No, because I had LimeWire. Well, this is before that. Like, <laughs> we're at like 10, or I guess. Oh, no, yeah, I did that, yeah. Yeah, like trying to record something off the radio and you'd get the like announcer saying something over the intro and you'd be so mad. So yeah, this is the equivalent. This is the modern day equivalent. Kids will see, like watch a TikTok and be like, what song was that? And click on the little link in the corner and then stream it on their streaming service of choice. It's like, it's an interesting like way to kind of like link the two. They're not like that. It's really the same thing teenagers have been doing forever. Just this is the most modern interpretation of it. And yeah. It's also the fastest interpretation of it mm-hmm. too, because you can see immediately what right. it is instead of trying to search on your phone or remember it so when you get to a library or home yeah kind of like what was that song again what were they playing at this time right you know, so, internet days yeah it's interesting and it goes to show you like how effective it is at um getting your music out there if you're an artist so yeah it's 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 quite an interesting thing even though it's a deep deep well that is way too complex for any of us old fogies to understand truly <laughs> well we can understand it there's data we have numbers <laughs> yeah it's the old fogies who try to gain said system yes <laughs> and like anyway. force your your stuff onto tiktok and hopefully it'll blow up and yet it doesn't <laughs> and you wonder why because you're not hit like the cool kids yeah just like those cool kids yeah. What do you think Echo Smith is doing anymore? <laughs> Remember that song? No, it's the kids who are out of style. All right, let's move on to our second story. All right, our second story is a wee woo story, an oo woo story. Ee woo, woo woo, it's Britney Watch. <laughs> That's the alarm. Yeah. So, a so called Britney bill has been introduced in Congress with bipartisan backers designed to crack down on what else? Conservatorship abuse in the wake of a heightened public attention to the issue due to Britney Spears' headlines making court case. But the Free Britney movement is not welcoming it with open arms. Because Florida Democrat Charlie Christ and South Carolina Republican Nancy Mace have joined forces in the House of Representatives to introduce the Freedom and Rights to Emancipate from Exploitation Act, a.k.a. (laughs) the Free Act. The legislation, if passed, would allow individuals who have a judge-appointed private conservator to petition to have that person replaced by a state-employed public guardian. Some in the movement uh, to reform conservatorship complain that the bill still doesn't ultimately address how accountability Mm -hmm. would be guaranteed, whether individuals end up with a private or state-appointed guardian. And many in the movement 
believe anything with the potential to create more conservators, not fewer, is a step in the wrong direction. Yeah. I mean, those are good points, right? Like, this thing really just passes the buck in a lot of ways. It's like, oh, well, at least it gives the person an option if this current conservator is not somebody that they believe is doing them a service, at least they have the option to get them replaced. But if you just have a revolving door of conservators going in. It's not still solving the main issue at it's, hand. Yeah, it's treating a symptom. It's not treating the problem, which I think is what a lot of the, the people do, like saying that this is not a solution are saying. But isn't that always what Congress does is they treat the, <laughs> uh, the symptom? Yeah, and that's why know. people are always having problems with things getting done in government. Yeah, I mean, but at least there's some sort of legislation being uh, being suggested here, being uh, being uh, introduced. It does lead to more potentially better versions of the same kind of bill. So yeah, we'll we'll it remains to be seen what exactly comes out of this. But um, this ain't it. I think is basically the conclusion. Yeah, um, also Britney Spears in other news um, has indeed looked into getting her own lawyer. Mm -hmm. I believe that is being settled by the end of the month. And I think next month, if I read that right, they are due back in court, I think mid-month, mid-August. So, mm -hmm. More Britney watch to come. <laughs> but we didn't watch things. Well, I mean, we did watch things. We <laughs> also listened to things. Yeah, it's true. You listened to a couple of things. I did not listen to these, so you're on your you own listen here. To it? No. To listen to it. Why would I? <laughs> John freaking Mayer. Oh, yeah, that guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't care. What's <laughs> John freaking Mayer? All right. What'd... All right. So John Mayer put out a new album <laughs> titled Sob Rock. Uh-huh. Or SOB Rock. Either way. However you want to say it. Um, I'll, it's best summarized by the text that I sent you. Yeah. Goddamn 80s funky beats. Uh-huh. It is super 80s. There's synths everywhere. There's hard bass everywhere. I think at one point he tries to emulate Phil Collins and Genesis. Ooh. He tries to emulate Wham in this, but <laughs> only in Melody. And only in song, not necessarily in the <laughs> lyrics, because there's still John Mayer longing for a relationship to actually work out. Yeah. So it's interesting. <laughs> it definitely has the funky beats that I like. It definitely <laughs> got me interested. I liked listening to it. But at the end of the day, it's still John Mayer, and I don't really care for John Mayer. <laughs> that being said, it's a well-produced album. Okay. You like that it's 80s sound and that 80s synth and like even 80s pop rock, soft rock. It's all in here. Yeah. It feels like he had, was on an 80s kick on his like <laughs> iTunes or Spotify. It's just like, I'm just going to do this. And it works. People backed him. It works. Mm -hmm. It's very much exactly that. It's very 80s, you know. Everything is in a circle, so maybe he's ahead of something coming back around to more synth pop in this coming decade. <laughs> maybe we'll look back and say, hey, 
that started the new trend. Maybe. But for now, it's the old trend of <laughs> the 80s. Right. Um, yeah, no, that's ultimately what I've heard from other sources as well, where it's like, yeah, it, it's it's well produced for what it is, but like ultimately your mileage may vary vary on John Mayer, the person, and that's going to really color your view of this thing. He's just said so many dumb, so much dumb shit at this point. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't care. But anyway. But that's not the only thing you listen to. You listen to something you were very excited about. Yes, that uh, we didn't talk about last week for some reason or another. Just slipped your mind, I guess. Well, I didn't put it down. That's why. If I would have have written it down, then yeah, we would have talked about it. (laughs) But I didn't. And ultimately, because I didn't write it down and because it did kind of slip my mind, that can basically sum up the (laughs) the album that is Uh The Last Resort by Midland. Uh So this is an EP. Their second EP following uh, earlier this year, The Sonic Ranch. Uh, This is The Last Resort. And I'm a big Midland guy. I like Midland. They're my up-and-coming band. They are third build at Stagecoach um, on day one. So they're up-and-coming. They're going to get there. I just wish it was more stadium-sounding than what I got. Mm-hmm. Not saying that's a bad thing. <laughs> I'm just saying that if they want to take it to that next level, this album is not that level. Mm-hmm. This is more of what you know from Midland, more of what you would come to expect from country band in a bar. Lots of kind of low notes, heartfelt songs, breakup. They like are going to corner the breakup market at some point here. <laughs> This song. Meanwhile, Dan shared according the love market with their love song and winning Grammys for it. Damn you, Dan and Shay. But Midland, The Last Resort, it's fine. It kind of works as a companion piece to the Sonic Ranch, sort of how they started and where they're at. It's a more clean, more polished EP. Uh, but that said, I enjoyed their previous full album. Mm-hmm. Let it roll more than I did this upcoming, this latest album, The Last Resort. Fair enough. But it's an EP. EPs are an opportunity for artists to do something a little different, to do the real thing when their next real record comes out. So maybe that's right. what this but is. This is their second EP in a row, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they're ramping up. Maybe they need this arena energy from the shows that they're going to play to get prepared. Well, see, that's the thing, though. That Well, so I saw them two weeks ago. They put out this album, I guess, last week then, mm-hmm. officially. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's why it's on here then. It's – when I saw them, um, they were very clunky. They – lost lyrics they forgot lyrics mm-hmm. they missed some notes definitely felt like an opening uh like coming back into getting used to playing in front of live people again yeah and a lot of people for that matter uh, but when i see them come next year at stagecoach i expect a bigger more arena style show because it is 
built out at Stagecoach for a more bigger, more arena style yeah. venue. Yeah. At least that is my hope. <laughs> um, we'll I see. hitched my horse to their wagon. I bought yeah. my ticket for them to go to the moon eventually. <laughs> I'm just waiting for it to happen. They're my lottery yeah. ticket of the band that makes it. Right. Well, we will certainly see what happens. Um, so I remember that I did listen to something, uh, what jogged my memory, what jogged my memory was you talking about, uh, how you were expecting a different sound than what you got from the, from your EP that you listened to. Well, the same thing happened to me with, uh, Claro's new record, Sling. So we talked about last week, this is the Jack Antonoff produced, um, thing that he did with her. So if you're not familiar with Claro, she hit a, got a big single two years ago um off of her first record that was kind of a poppy kind of 90s kind of thing it was kind of lumped into the whole like uh bedroom 90s pop thing that's now come out of nowhere to be incredibly popular your claros your beba doobies your um mxm tunes Am I speaking another language or do you understand what i'm talking about nope you see all the stuff (laughs) like going over my head right now anyways Never mind. Anyways, um, so Claro like was on the trajectory, or at least I thought, to be one of those artists, like kind of TikTok bred, kind of like a pop artist. Well, get ready for the curveball because Sling, her record that she did with Jack Antonoff, is a folklore style left turn for her. It is a folk record. It is a folk record even more folky than folklore. It is a record that sounds like it's sprung out of a 1975, like, like uh, I don't know, like a Joni Mitchell session or something. It's very low-key, very low-tempo, very lang- languishing, like, folk record, like 70s folk record. It's very not what I was expecting. And I don't know if I liked it. So you're right. I think I was going in the same way you were into the Midland record where I was like ready for something fun and summery and it's not what I got. And so I think that some of the disappointment that I feel kind of came out of that misplaced like seasonal kind of feeling for me. Because when I think of summer music, I want that fun poppy poppiness. Um, This is not that. And so I think it really caught me off guard. Um, Right. It's well Especially produced since last year's summer pop albums were all bangers. Yeah. Right, yeah. Ironically enough, maybe we're seeing everything that got recorded last year. Is maybe uh, that's why. Um, so yeah, it's not the vibe I was looking for. I think Claro is a good musician. I think she has a good ear for the kind of production that makes these kind of songs really sing. Um, but it's just a direction that I wasn't prepared for, and I don't know if I'm jiving with right now. Maybe if I put it back on in October. Maybe it'll work better. You know, maybe it needs a pumpkin spice latte to really click. Uh, We'll see when it comes to the fall. But uh, for now, it's just, I wasn't impressed. uh, But it seems like critically, this thing is getting getting raves. So I think people will really like what she's trying to go for. Definitely sets her apart from her contemporaries. For someone who has been kind of put on a Zoomer pedestal, it's very non-Gen Z sounding. And so it's a, it is a, capital C choice for her to make something like this for her second record in her career. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, I respect it, but is it something that I want to listen to? Probably not. So that's, uh, that's, that's Claro. 
So listen, pass. Regards, mileage may vary. Yeah, exactly. Mileage may, mileage may vary for all these things, I guess. Yep. All right. And they're all very different um, genres, too. Very different. We listen to everything here. We try. We try to have a wide swath of things. All right. Uh, so, uh, just, oh, one last thing, mainly for you. We took your advice and we listened to Haley Witters. Yes. Probably got hooked on her. May or may not. We'll see. <laughs> that album's that album's real good, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> that album's real good was to her whole discography because of it. After mm, it's real good. Pretty good. She's real good. Yep. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that's another stagecoach. Head not headliner, but artist. She's she's over in the middle of that pack. She's not the most capital letters, but she's pretty decently sized in there. She's also day three. So yeah. So that's something. That's something. Working your way up. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, uh, do we have anything else? That's it for music. Let's move on. All right. Actually, this may not end up being the longest show ever. What did I tell you? Oh, wait. <laughs> it may still be because we have two <laughs> games to talk about. Me too. All right. We're going to start with Last Stop for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Switch, PC. If you got it, you can play it last stop. <laughs> yes. We also have Orcs Must Die 3. Because you didn't do it the first two times. No, they didn't die. Uh, for the PS4, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Notably, the PS5 is missing on this. Nope. Um, next up, Alchemic Cutie. <laughs> the Xbox One and Xbox Xbox Series X. The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles for the PS4, Switch, and PC. I believe that is based off of the Ace Attorney uh, series, but it's yes. a prequel. Yes, it's a prequel. It takes place in like the 1800s. Mm-hmm. We also have Microsoft Flight Simulator. If that sounds familiar, <laughs> you should already be playing it, but this one comes out for the Xbox Series X. Yeah, so this is a Series S and X release. This is a console release. The PC version has been out for a year. But hey, uh, Series owners can finally give it a spin. We also have Neo, colon, The World Ends With You, the yes. sequel to The World Ends With You for the PS4 yep. and the Switch. But if you're lucky... It might have dropped early for you. Yeah, so that I didn't include that news story because the other two news stories were bigger. Oh, yeah, but yes, uh, some people who pre-order, pre-ordered on Switch got the codes early. Shouldn't have. They've now been revoked. But don't worry, new codes will be on their way on release date is what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's the game I played the demo of a couple weeks ago and talked about. Um, I probably will not be picking up the final version. Um, maybe not for me, but hey, it could be cool. Uh, also pretty cool if you're into it. Samurai Warriors 5 for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. No mm-hmm. next gen yet. Nope. Um, there, there's also, because there's never-ending release of releases here. Yeah. Uh, Splitgate colon Arena Warfare for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. 
Sorry, switching PC. You'll get it later, maybe. Hopefully, <laughs> maybe. probably. Uh, there's also Winds and Leaves for the PS4. Tribes of Midgard for the PS4, PS5, and PC. And lastly, the big release question mark because <laughs> it's also free for you. Free for you. I mean, there is uh, like a $250-$300 entry <laughs> to get it. Yeah. Barrier of entry. I'm sorry, wait, plus, because don't you need online to play it as well? It's an extra yeah. on top of that. Might be your first thing you play on your new OLED Switch. Maybe. <laughs> um, it releases today. We will talk about it later. later. It is Pokemon Unite for the Switch. Yeah. That's the uh, Pokemon MOBA game. Yes, we will talk and about that in a moment. Some thoughts on it. We'll get there. Because if you were listening to all these releases and realized that, hey, all these for the Xbox and PC, I'd love to play them on a PC, but I'm always on the go. <laughs> Never at home. Or if I am, my kids need to use that PC. And there's just not a dedicated PC console that I can play. And just play on my own time. That's not on my phone. Yeah. That's not a mobile game. There's the got to be another way. In the palm of my hand. Yeah. That's not if? a Switch or a PlayStation Vita. Yeah. But kind of like a PlayStation Vita. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if there was something else like that? Yeah. I mean, I could dream. Or, or I could buy <laughs> the new Valve announced Steam Deck. Mm-hmm. And then when I buy it, I may still be dreaming of a day <laughs> when that would possibly <laughs> Yeah, I'll be looking at third quarter 2022 when I could finally play my Steam Deck. <laughs> uh, yeah, your Steam Deck? Steam Deck. Steam Deck. Steam Deck. Yep, so uh, Valve officially announced Steam Deck, a handheld gaming PC set to arrive later this year. The Steam Deck, it has a form factor similar to that of a slightly larger Nintendo Switch, but with the capabilities of a full gaming PC, specs to vary. It runs a modified version of Valve's Steam OS, complete with a new console-like interface for easy navigation of both the Steam Store and your Steam library. But it also provides access to an unrestricted computer desktop where any third-party application can be installed, including non-Steam games or launchers. In terms of hardware... The Steam Deck has a 7-inch 1280 by 800 resolution, 60 hertz LCD screen, a custom AMD APU featuring a 4-core 8-thread CPU paired with an 8RDNA2 compute units for the GPU and 16 gigs of LPDDR5 RAM. 
It can even suspend running games like a console. And Valve says the intent is really to give players access to their entire Steam library on the go. Yeah. The only caveat here, which you don't have listed, is that they sell the Steam, uh, the Steam Deck at three different intervals for the three different hard drives. Right. And depending on which hard drive you get, you may not even be able to download your games. <laughs> As it starts, the starting point is a 64 gigabit hard drive, which, yes, is low for any AAA game. Yeah. It can go up to 256, I think. It's not at 500 yet, right? I think it's 512. I think it is, is it 512. 512? So one thing to note one... here, one thing to note here is that all of the units do have SD card slots, so you can expand this memory just like you can with a Switch. Mm-hmm. But uh, just know that the internal memory is going to be fairly low if you're a power user. Right, but I mean, you're going to want it on the hard drive so that we can at least right. run it properly and not right. build the saves. But yes. Yeah. You can take your Steam library on the go. Yeah, I think this thing exists on the intersection of really good idea and hardware reality. And what I mean by that is, for years, people have been wanting for wanting a device like this, a way they can play their Steam library, say, on the couch in the living room by looking at a handheld. There are third-party devices that do this. Um, a lot of... Um, Technology companies in China have made kind of names for themselves by making devices like this that are not officially licensed by anybody. Um, and of course, the the PlayStation Vita and the Switch have both basically grown reputations as PC indie game systems, essentially, um, for their use ease of use for playing games that you would typically play on the PC. So there's a market for this, and is the reason why Steam wanted to make it. But like you said, the problem that people are realizing is, is that there's a reality of the thing you can actually make. You kind of run into a wall in a lot of places. You run into a technology wall. It can't be the most powerful computer in the world. You run into a pricing wall. It's going to be expensive. This thing starts at $400. You also run into a a memory wall, like you said, like you can only hold so much into a hard drive on one of these things. So basically, you keep running into these technological hurdles, not to mention that we're also in a period of time right now where sourcing um, like parts to make these things is going to be not as easy as it would have been if they had introduced this in a non-pandemic world. So on top of that, you also have sourcing issues where people who have ordered this thing might not even get it until beyond over a year from now. So what it's created is this like demand for a product that maybe won't even be viable until the end of next year and um yeah it's it's a wild thing it's like yes this is something that sounds good like honestly i would have possibly bought this if i hadn't bought a computer last year because it's a lucrative price point for playing the games that i wanted it solves the problem that back then i wanted solved it just didn't exist yet now that it does I still won't regret buying this computer because now I use it every day for work and it's great. But if I hadn't, it definitely would have been more lucrative. But now it's kind of just seems superfluous. But you're right. It is going to solve a lot of people's problems if they have a reason why they can't sit at a PC all the time to play games. So yeah, I think it's a good idea on paper and I think I'm glad that Valve made it. 
but there's going to be a lot of hoops to jump through technologically for this thing to work the way you want it to. I mean, it does all say you can run non-Steam games or launchers. <laughs> First one that comes to my mind are the MMORPGs. Mm -hmm. And how you use literally the whole keyboard that needs to be pared down to just several button pushes. <laughs> well, I mean, they do kind of get around that by with a lot of customizable buttons right. on and the surface. Yeah, custom mapping. As well as custom mapping um, um, touchpads. So there are ways they could do it, but you're right. It's not going to be the same experience. You're not going to play Final Fantasy 15 on this thing. Or sorry, 16, 14, 14, 14, 14 online. Know. Yeah, it's going to be hard for you to do that. Apparently everybody in the world wants to do that right now. So, so yeah, maybe there's going to be a use case, but yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing. I'm, it's a, it'll be very interesting watching the next year as it kind of, gets a user base, how big that user base is going to be, how Valve actually supports it, and um, what people think of it when they get their hands on it. I mean, Valve has a history of supporting the products it created. I mean, just look at its VR headset. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, they have done an okay job with the Index. I know you're making a joke here, but <laughs> the Index actually has curved out, carved out its own little niche. It's just that it marketed itself on purpose as the higher-end um, VR headset. So it's basically by design not as popular as as what HTC has done with um, with theirs with the Vive. So. I'm just saying. Okay, no, hey. Could be another dud. Speaking of things that could be another dud. <laughs> Hello Ubisoft. What kind of turd did you pop out lately? Oh, <laughs> well, man. It's more like what they haven't. <laughs> well, I mean, it was supposed to pop out, and then they changed it, and then they changed it again, and then they changed it yet again, and yet it is still not out. <laughs> so the once supposedly Assassin's Creed spinoff centered around Black Flag's ship combat has ultimately turned into its own game called Skull and Bones. Cool. Except yeah. <laughs> it hasn't seen the light of day in basically forever. Mm -hmm. However, a new report from Kotaku kind of explains why. The game has been going through development hell for years thanks to repeated changes in vision and has been at the center of some of Ubisoft's long-reported top Workplace toxicity. The summary is that according to the site sources, Skull and Bones' repeated delays have come due to major shifts in the game's structure over the years, leading to a lack of meaningful progress in development and an exodus of developers at Ubisoft's Singapore studio. Originally projected to launch in 2018, yeah, Three years ago, Skull and Bones has seen multiple release windows over the years. Ubisoft has pushed it from 2018 to 2019, and then to 2020, and then to 2022, and now <laughs> it's sitting at a projected release date, a window, before March of 2023, basically close of the fiscal year. According to a statement issued by Kotaku, uh, issued to Kotaku by Ubisoft, 
Skull and Bones is just now getting into alpha phase after not one, not two, not three, <laughs> not four, but eight years of development. To what you say, you could look at this and say, hey, eight years of development, that's great. There's no time crunch on it. They can take their time. They can form it to how they want. To which people will take the case and point and say, Kingdom Hearts, 13 years of development to finally <laughs> release. To which all those people will then point to you and say, Duke Nukem Forever. <laughs> 15 years of development and we yeah. got that. So no, being in development for all those years is not necessarily a good indicator of how good the game is going to be. Um, as the article had mentioned, Skull and Bones was originally going to be an expansion of the Assassin's Creed Black Flag because they liked the ship combat so much. But then they didn't know which direction to take it. Were you going to be all ship all the time or some ship and some captain? Mm-hmm. And like some kind of variation hybrid? It went through very many different phases and a couple of directors and development teams. We don't know where this thing now lies because it's in the alpha phase, meaning it's not released in the public yet. It's not in a beta phase, testing phase. It's still in alpha. It's still in development. Yeah. Eight years development. Also, in those eight years, we've seen two different console cycles. <laughs> Black Flag was a PS3 game. <laughs> And so they had to then develop it for the PS3, change it to the PS4, and then now, I'm just using PlayStation as an example, change it again to the PS5, and then to the Xbox Series X, and probably Switch, and whatever new no PC end is. Probably to Switch Engine a couple times as well. So, if you're pointing to development hell, Skull and Bones isn't a proper name for this thing. Because it's, I won't say dead on arrival, but <laughs> damn, is it nothing but skin and bones. It's, <laughs> it's been drowning, and it's slowly coming up back to the surface. Yeah, this is the danger, and a lot of people talk about this around uh, E3 time. This is the danger that you take, this is the risk that you take announcing a project really early in development. Because these things happen. These are the realities of game design, especially big AAA game design, right? If you announce something... You're going to get fans excited. And if fans don't hear from it for a very, very long time, they're going to think it's dead or in trouble or they're going to freak out and you're going to get the bad end of that. We all know how rough the last decade has been to Ubisoft, though. They've been through the ringer at this point and it's not ending anytime soon. So it doesn't surprise that all this stuff has happened. But it goes to show you, just hold off on that announcement. Just hold off a little longer on announcing that game that you're really excited about, even though you're really excited about it, because you don't want to show them one thing only to change the entire like like status of it later. Uh, Yubi is also going through this with uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2. Uh, related to this is a document that they review, like they put out, which basically said like what they're going to show in the next showcase that they have. And they said that they're going to reintroduce Beyond uh, uh, beyond uh, Good and Evil 2. It's like they've done that twice already. 
another example of the same problem. They have to wait. And so, yeah, as good as Skull and Bones could be potentially when it eventually becomes a real game, it's too far off to know. And they did this to themselves. Cyberpunk 2077. Yes, exactly. And that was CD Projekt Red, of, I guess previously, well-respected publisher. Right. Yeah, once upon a time, people were very excited for that game. Right. And yeah. we're not dealing with a well-respected publisher. We're dealing with Ubisoft. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it is what it is. Someday we might play it. But, yeah, nonetheless, an interesting kind of, um, I guess, warning to those studios out there that are champing at the bit to show this new thing that they just came up with, just conceptualized, that they have a logo for and nothing else. Maybe wait. <laughs> well, anyway. while we wait for that, we can wait no more as we come to the end of the podcast. Yeah. And with that, it's time to talk about the thing I'm excited to talk about. Real quick, before you do, I just want to mention the thing that we punted from television. Yeah. Not really sure we had on television. It's because not television. baseball. It's baseball related. So baseball, which is not baseball, it has nothing to do with baseball. It's very, very different. Um, so, which we talked about on the podcast uh, over the last year, just turned a year old on the twentieth, and so I'm wearing Happy my baseball, birthday. my tacos shirt in honor. Um, yeah, just wanted to briefly talk about. There's not really much to talk about here. Just a nice anniversary to celebrate. But I just want to mention that thing uh, has gotten way weirder and wilder even since its inception. So. Um, uh, if you just want to get a taste of it, if you look up Blaseball on Twitter, it was a trending topic yesterday for the anniversary. A lot of people were sharing um, fan art. Yeah, fan art, fan stories, fan things that they like, the fan merchandise that they've made. This is fan merchandise. This is not official. Um, and yeah, just the amazing stuff that the fan community around Blaseball has put together. If you don't know what Blaseball is, just give it a quick look. Click Google and you'll find out more about it. But yeah, the year is strong, and it just keeps going. It keeps getting weirder and weirder. So uh, congratulations over to the people over at the Game Band, the developer that makes it, uh, for just keeping surprise people on their toes and keep surprising people and just making it just a unique thing like nothing else on the internet. So yeah, baseball. Go Tacos. Go Tacos. All right, now let's talk about all the Pokemon, get on your feet and be united. Whoa. Whoa, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> feeling united? Feeling united. Yes, feeling united. <laughs> right. So, uh, last year? Not last year they announced this? Oh, two years ago, dude. Two years ago. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. So, two years ago, um, Nintendo decided to dip their toes into a mobile arena and say, hey, <laughs> you like League of Legends? You like that kind of style? What about Pokemon? Pokemon. Yeah, what about Pikachu? What about all the other, I think there's only like 12 Pokemon in the game that you can choose from? Right now, so far. So far. There'll be more to come that you can play as. But there's more like in the game that you can't play as. But there's like Pokemon fodder, basically. <laughs> yeah. So Pokemon creeps, I believe they're called. <laughs> so... You go to the jungle and you fight started. creeps. Where's my base knowledge of a MOBA? <laughs> yeah. I have passing knowledge. <laughs> Even though I've played 
uh, League of Legends fantasy League of Legends team last year. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I came in last, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, actually got me to this year download the League of Legends Wild Rift mobile game. Side note, I downloaded it to try and get myself familiar with MOBA mm-hmm. because Pokemon Unite was coming out and I was like, I should at least get some mm-hmm. kind of baseline for what I'm getting myself into. Right. So, when the trailer came out last year, one of my first comments was, I know what that game is. I can recognize that game because I recognize the fundamentals of what Pokemon is and I can recognize that if, if I defeat more enemies, I can evolve, level up, and learn more moves and become a stronger Pokemon. Yeah. I understood that concept. And at the core, that's what that's more or less what it is. You control a Pokemon, not like trainer style where you're trying to tell what to do. You physically control the mm-hmm. movements of a Pokemon and you go around the arena attacking other different Pokemon around there. Um, that are there as Banta fodder, but also the different <laughs> um, Pokemon that you're facing against. So you don't get points by killing, knocking them out, fainting, destroying. You don't get points like towards the score of defeating other Pokemon. You get points by defeating all the other random Pokemon and putting them into circles around their side of the arena the more mm-hmm. you the more nodes you control the higher your score is and the more you win they're yeah. all capped at 10 minute matches so you won't get into the 24 half hour long match <laughs> where you're just grinding back and forth and no one's gonna win mm-hmm. until like one team finally decides to all attack at once and like <laughs> work as a team instead of trying to solo it right but it's fun okay it kind of has the same vibe currently as animal crossing did because <laughs> every because it launches today everyone's on the same level everyone has right. the exact same pokemon to start with um, as you level up as you level up yourself your trainer you'll get access to more pokemon that you can eventually unlock and play as now i did note that this is a free to play game mm-hmm that being said, there are microtransactions. <laughs> yes. in that game. That's okay, t- that's putting it extremely lightly. <laughs> yes, there's less microtransactions and more. Do you want this Pokemon to play right yeah. now? Well, you can probably grind out some coins mm-hmm. to to eventually yeah. unlock it, or, or you can pay your twenty dollars right now and unlock it instantly. Yeah. I mean, we already went over this when we talked about it with uh, as pertains to Genshin Impact, but yes, if you are somebody who has uh, addictive personality and maybe would maybe be trapped by a game that really in- in- encourages you to spend real-life money, this might not be a good idea for you to download it. <laughs> so just know that. This is borderline predatory, especially for a game that's aimed directly towards kids. Yeah, because uh, there are some popular Pokemon, Lucario mm-hmm. being one of them. Right. Immediately hidden, well, not hidden, but you can't play with them, but you can immediately on the front page of the store, hey, <laughs> you want to have yeah. access to uh, Lucario? 
click here and find another, out. Yeah, another potentially um, potentially nefarious part of this that is getting a lot of talk today on the internet is people are complaining that the items are essentially pay to win. Uh, you earn them from battles, but you can also buy them straight up. So there's an argument that if somebody just has spare money, they can just buy a bunch of health boosts or attack boost items and just be good, be better because they spent the money on it. Yes, there are special X's, attack X, mm -hmm. defense X, hyper potions that you can equip to use during the game. It's just there is a cool yeah. down meter for it. It's disappointing when you consider that a lot of other MOBAs not the big ones. I think League and Dota also allow you to buy buff items. But some other MOBAs out there do not. And you and you, what you see mostly in free-to-play games is just cosmetic uh, microtransactions. Here, there are also cosmetic transactions, but there are also game-changing transactions mm -hmm. here happening as well. So just be aware of that, because I think that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. There's also ranked and unranked matches, so you can play at your level right. once you reach level seven, okay. I think. But also, as you level up your character, you can equip more stuff onto your Pokemon as well. So that is also, I'll say, barrier. Mm -hmm. but Potentially. Potential barrier. I think it, it all opened up at level 12, and then okay. I only played for like an hour. Or two, and I got up to, to six and seven. Okay. So not too they bad. They fast. The game uh, fast. The cuts are kept at 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's nice. It, you can get like four games in an hour, four or five yeah. games in an hour. I'll just say real quickly so I did not play this myself yet, but I did watch a, about 20 minutes of somebody playing it. So I got an idea more or less of what this thing is. Mm -hmm. I probably won't dip into it. But do you think this is something you're going to play for like a couple weeks and drop off of? Or do you think this is potentially something you could really see yourself getting into? I will tell you at the end of the year. <laughs> okay. Well, what I'm that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is what do you think right now? Like, are you enjoying it enough to, do you have like a grinding goal? Is there another Pokemon you want to unlock? Or like, do you have like... So it does the smart gameplay tactic, depending on how you range smart, of having daily and weekly goals. Right, right, right. So there is incentive to continuously mm -hmm. play. You can reach all those goals within half hour, <laughs> like minimum. Sure. Because I think uh, it's if you win three matches of them all in a row, that's half hour. You can like you can accomplish all the other goals within them by that time. But what about you specifically? What do you think? Do you think about your future about here this game? I think it'll actually get me to play the Switch more hmm. than I normally do right now. Because right now I use it for Wingfit Adventure and Pokemon Snap. <laughs> and Pokemon Snap has slowly been dying <laughs> on my gameplay. Yeah. So the fact that they're 10-minute matches means I could pick it up and play for a half hour while I'm watching game or TV or something and then put it back kind of what I feel like the Switch was designed for. But it's not necessarily... The games that I have for the Switch, I don't like to play that. I like to sit down for an app for two hours, three hours, and right. play story-based games. So that's what I'm saying. I'll tell you at the end of the year if I'm still playing <laughs> or not. Sure. Well, it has 
exactly what I'm looking for in 10-minute bursts of getting a game in. Yeah. And I like the fact that it's kept at 10 minutes. I like the fact that yeah. Pokemon, you can look at it and identify like, oh, I know what this move is because mm-hmm. I've been playing it for, what are we on, the 25th anniversary of Pokemon now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 25 so look- years. So everybody, I say look forward to the season finale of uh, season five of the Media Boat Podcast, where uh, Mike goes pro, uh, po- pro Pokemon Unite player, and uh, uh, we don't never see him again. Uh, I don't think I'd go that far, because <laughs> I do have vacations planned where I don't plan taking my sleep. <laughs> I have a feeling like, do, like, because of that, I will, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to have to break, Take a break my quote-unquote streak of playing consecutive right and when that does happen i do tend to fall off of getting back to games <laughs> yeah but it's like i have yet to finish horizon zero dawn even though i have <laughs> one mission left i'm at the end game i just have there it yet. fair enough well i'm just glad to hear that they did a good job of doing a pokemon plus moba even if the microtransaction stuff's a little on the shadier side but hey what do you expect I mean, it gives me exactly what I want. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it Pokemon, does. Pokemon, MOBA. Yeah. Um, easy to understand. New Island, New Professor, which, you know, it happens mm. with every single game. Yeah. But in terms of a quality product, uh, I was watching some other people stream it as well. I did see some frame rate drops, especially on some um, yeah. on the free menu with trying to get people to mm-hmm. load in. I noticed that as well. And I know uh, some people were having some lag issues because, of course, as any Super Smash Brothers Ultimate player will tell you, it's those damn people using Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, until everybody gets their OLED uh, docks with the Ethernet port, uh, it'll probably be a little patchy online. Yep, probably patchy. Um, I did like that there's a card. They brought back the card system. Yeah. You can, Dress up your player. You can create your player card like you could in uh, Pokemon X and Y. I'm telling you, make that its own game. (laughs) I just want to, you know, put my trainers in fun costumes and stuff without having to play a MOBA. Is that so much to ask? Is that that too much? Might be a bit of a dock. I'm not sure yet. But (laughs) um, your player name that you choose Mm. is counted against all players so if you're not playing right now and if you don't have like your own specific username that you play on oh you might have to go get it go get it you might have to choose a different name yeah something with numbers take because as i try tend to do whenever i start a new game i try and name my player awesome (laughs) so it's like get awesome in time that guy's awesome awesome. unfortunately awesome was taken Uh, well, well i went with my Guaranteed backup plan. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. <laughs> well, can't we wait to hear Pokemon games. And it says, yep. "Hey, beautiful." Or, this is beautiful. Like, ah, yeah. You're can't right. wait to hear about the ongoing uh, so adventures of on Pokemon, Pokemon Trainer. United, beautiful. It says someone named Beautiful. Beautiful. And it looks like Doctor. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is very me on brand. Great. Well, cool. Cool. That's Pokemon Unite. You can get that on Switch now. Mobile version later this year? Question mark. Yes, mobile version will be coming in September. 
Okay. You can transfer your saved data from the Switch to mobile. Cool. Um, so you can play on the go. Nice. It's You just need to either use your Nintendo ID login or the Pokemon login, mm-hmm. and it will connect uh, from your Switch to your mobile um, without losing anything. Nice. All your saves will be the same. But that will be in, I forget, it's either early September, sometime in September or late August. But yeah, um, it should come by the end of the first season. The first season right now is scheduled for 70 days, I believe. Okay. And then they're doing that too as another way of getting money out of you is having season passes, battle passes. Right. right. Which you need to re-up in order to get everything. Unless you don't want to and just want to play for free, because that's also fun, yeah, too. it's an option. Yep, that's an option. All right. Well, cool. Yeah, um, as for the actual, like, characters you play on, good variety. Lots yeah. of grass, lots of flying. I think fire is the main heavy. Uh, but it's pretty fun. Um, I currently like playing as Talonflame. Just because I can use Brayford and Aerial Ace and yeah. play, yeah, love talent Super fast. Uh, him and then uh, Venusaur leveling up. Nice. He's a freaking tank. <laughs> but I will have more fun with it um, and have might have more thoughts on it next week. But I think my thoughts on it right now are pretty good. Oh yeah, I think so. Cool. Like I said, uh, uh, I'll, the more I play with it. Maybe we'll see at the end of the year. Nothing guaranteed. Maybe. But we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, I didn't play anything. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? No, but I swear I will finish Horizon Zero Dawn eventually. <laughs> yes. Keep an eye out on twitch.tv slash mediavote for that when he does that. But um, yeah, hey, that's the end here. So let's plug yeah. away. In the meantime, you can join us here at the Media Boat Podcast every week. If you want to see us in video form, that's at YouTube. Search Media Boat Podcast and you'll find our page, see our archived videos, click the bell for notifications when we have new ones. You know the drill. You can also listen to the audio version on the podcast on your podcast app of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anything you want. We're there to search Media Boat Podcast. You can also find us on social media channels such as Twitter. Our handle is at Media Boat Cast. Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast to find our page. If you want to ask us questions, comments, anything you want to know about us, you can email us directly, mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit mediaboatpodcast.com for an archive of our episodes there as well. And I think that'll do it. Twitch.tv, as I mentioned, slash Media Boat to see him stream. Other than that, I think that will do it for next week. I think next week we might have some thoughts about, let's see, what? Actually, I don't know. I don't know what we'll talk about next week. I believe it's going to be a solo cast. Yeah, possibly a solo. We'll have to figure something out. If it's not a solo, we might record uh, later or earlier. We'll figure something out. Yeah, so, might just do an audio only cast at some point. Yeah, or something. We'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. Alrighty. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Yep. We'll be back next week because this yep. train don't stop running. Never. Never.
Uh, we'll be back with more thoughts, more news, and more shenanigans next week. All right. See y'all. Okay. Bye. Bye.